0: you Today I'd like for you to go with me to 2 Corinthians the first chapter and I'd like to follow up a little bit of where we concluded last Sunday. Last Sunday we talked a little bit about being under pressure. And we talked about emotional pressure, we talked about marital pressure, we talked about financial pressure, we talked about spiritual pressure, we talked about tire pressure as one of my dear friends lost his leg in Vietnam when a when a helicopter tire exploded, and and I asked him if he ever resented that happening. He said, no, that's what turned me back to God. So we know that a lot of times that when we are in storms and in tragedies and pain, we'll call out to God, and it's a different cry. It's a different cry. Many of us come to God every morning with just a a cry of gratitude and appreciation and love, but then there's some cries where we cry out to God and we say, God, where are you? Why have you or why are you allowing me to go what you are a good God. Why am I going through bad stuff? And as we look at the Word of God, we find that there are many that have been in places where marked by God, called by God, worship God, love God, would lay down their life for God, seem to be going through tragedy and trial and frustration. And this morning, as I gaze through the congregation, I see so many, so many survivors in this place. Some of us this past year have lost a spouse, some of us have lost children, some of us have lost a house in a, in a tornado, and you know what, we're still here today, we're here. Many of us feel like we've been to hell and back, but look at your neighbor and say, I'm back, I'm back, or I'm, I'm on the road, I'm on the road, I'm on the road back. The ancient Persians, Iraq and Ar- Iran, had a law that if a man committed murder and was found guilty, they took the corpse and, and tied it to the murderer's back and everywhere he went he was required to carry that corpse he would go to bed with it at night he would get up in the morning to the workplace to the market every place he went he carried it eventually obviously the stench but eventually the maggots would creep into his body and attach themselves to him and he would die a horrible gruesome uh, a terrible hor- horrific death that's a that's a horrible illustration that's a horrible analogy But that's what's going on in a lot of our lives today. A lot of us have been attached to yesterday's hurts, failure, and pain. We go to bed with it at night. We get up in the morning. First thing we talk, we tell people about what we're going through. We talk how how tough things are, how bad things are. And it's, it's okay to cast all your care upon the Lord because he careth for us. But there are just some seasons when we just wish that there would be a breakthrough And there will be a season of celebration and victory, and we can actually experience a window of hope and comfort. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? Reading from a very wordy translation, the Amplified Version, I want to just share, again, some of the Scripture I shared last Sunday in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. And if if I may, I want to back up uh, to verse 4, talking about the Lord. Who comforts and consoles and encourages us in every trouble, calamity, and affliction, so that we may also be able to comfort, console, and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble or distress with the comfort, consolation, and encouragement with which we ourselves are comforted, consoled, and encouraged by God. I want to stop right there and just tell you something. What you are experiencing, you are going to survive And you're going to come out of this battle, you're going to come out of this trial with a testimony. And Revelation tells us that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. This passage of Scripture promises us that whatever trial, whatever tragedy we're going through, we will survive. And one of the reasons we survive is that God wants to use us to share our testimony, to share our word of encouragement with someone else. And you'll find that happening so many times in life. You'll find yourself strategically at places that you, you never had a clue that God had ordained your steps. You never had a clue that God had orchestrated your morning. But you might find yourself at a car wash, sitting on a bench, outside the building, waiting for them to finish your car. And as you're sitting there, all of a sudden you start a conversation up with someone to your right or left, and you begin to talk a few minutes, and all of a sudden you realize that they are going through or they're experiencing something that you've already gone through something that you've already experienced, and you're able there at that car wash. It might be a post office. It might be the parking lot of Walmart. It might be a restaurant. It might be to a waiter or a waitress. It might be to an employer or employee. But you actually hear, your, you hear your, your words coming out of your mouth, and you realize that where you were at, you're not there anymore. That God has brought you from there to where you're at now, and now you're actually being used, according to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, you're being used of God to comfort and to console somebody else. I think a lot of times we remain silent when we should be heard. I think a lot of times we may, may, maybe it might be a little embarrassed or maybe just a little frustrated by the miracles that we have, we have re- or by the battles we've overcome, the things that we have received. But I have a feeling that today could be the day that you get a breakthrough, you get a song, you get a deliverance, you get a victory, you get something today that you didn't have yesterday, and you're going to face tomorrow a lot different than you faced yesterday. Does that help anybody? Yeah, Most of you know that, uh, well, let me finish re- reading the next, the next verse. Verse 5. For just as Christ's own suffering fall in our lot as they overflow upon his disciples, and we share and experience them abundantly, that so though Christ's comfort, consolation, and encouragement is also shared and experienced abundantly by us. The, what, what the word is saying there, the same Holy Ghost that came and comforted Christ in his death is the same Holy Ghost that comes and comforts us. But we are troubled. Is there anybody in the building afflicted or distressed? It is for your comfort, consolation, encouragement, and for your salvation. And if we are comforted, consoled, and encouraged, it is for your comfort, consolation, encouragement, which works in you when you patiently endure the same evils, misfortunes, and calamities that we also suffer and undergo. So it's almost a it's almost a rollover effect. It's almost there seems to be like there seems to be like three phases. There's a phase of where you're going through a storm. There's a phase of where you're coming out of a storm, and then there's a phase where you are encouraged and blessed because you have survived the storm. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I understand the Amplified Version is a very wordy version. It uses a lot of words. But in this passage, there's a lot of words that that talk about consolation and encouragement. And I know that God is an encourager, and I know this morning that he wants to encourage you. Several months ago, uh, Jeff Hewitt was given a very negative uh, report for, for some reason. He found himself unable to walk, unable to use his wrist, went to one hospital, took him to another hospital. I think finally the third hospital, they determined that he had the, the syndrome that we talked about last week, and the doctors told him that this syndrome, it's one out of every hundred thousand people ever get it. It's rare. It's where your immune system is triggered by a cold or a cough or or the flu or something, and your immune system begins to attack itself and where it attacks is in the joints and the muscle it attacks the ankles it attacks the wrist it attacks the neck they don't they don't they don't know why it does it just something that the body does a, reta, a retaliation it, it attacks the wrong thing that, that, it, that it's that is supposed to attack and he found himself unable to walk, unable to use his wrist, and then he was in the hospital where they gave him this sentence. that They actually told him, you could be here a year of your life, going through therapy, going through medication, going through healing and restoration. And you know what? This is a young, a young man that has two daughters in high school, is just recently engaged through all this storm, and we give God glory for that. But this is a guy that, that works in a carpet mill, solves problems for a lot of employees, very financially kind to of this church, is here when he can get here a 45-minute drive. I mean, can you imagine at that age getting a sentence that says, for the next year of your life, you're going to be in a hospital? That's not, that's not a good sentence. That's not a good, that's not a, that's not a good word. But you know what? There were there some very strong prophetic words spoken over him by Pastor Connie, by myself. And, and matter of fact, we, he and I agreed about 30 days ago that he would be home July 4th, that, we, that God would work, God would move, God would minister. I told you Wednesday night he took 75 steps with the walker. Well, what I, what I did not know, Wednesday, Thursday, they came in and said, hey, guess what? You're going home today. Your your ankles and, and, and your wrists have been strengthened. You'll have to have therapy, but you're home. So I called him, planning to go and visit him in Dalton. And when I called him, he said, Pastor, he said, You're not gonna believe this. I said, You're home. He said, I am home. I said, Jeff, that is that is so incredible. Only God could do that. Not a year in the hospital, home, walking, recovering, restored, and now engaged. How cool. How cool is that when you look at that? But the point I wanted to make is that while I was there, and it, they moved him from, a, from the hospital there in Dalton to an assisted living therapy center split up. Half is assisted living and half is therapy. And uh, while we were there one night, I forgot what night it was, but I heard literally some of the worst singing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I'm not exaggerating, I'm not teasing. It was worse than Austin and Angel doing a duet. I mean, it was bad. We're talking about and it was obviously an old red hymnal song, which I dearly love and quote almost every other day on Facebook. But it was just, it was it was terrible. And so I looked at Jeff and I said, Jeff, I said, What's going on? He said, Oh, every whatever night it is. A little Baptist church, it could have been a Methodist, none of that matters, but a little Baptist church will come and they do a service every Tuesday night. And he said, Pastor, he said, you're right, that's the worst singing I've ever heard. So then after they sang a couple of hymns, then all of a sudden, I heard this guy, I mean, this guy, he's after it. I mean, he is the old. Fire! I mean, he's preaching sin, corruption, evil, and these people are all like 90 years old. You know, the worst thing they've done is probably hit somebody with their crutch, you know, or, or stole somebody's oatmeal, hello. But I mean, he is, he is he's he's average. Well, I, I'm the kind of guy that I've got to put a face with a voice, so I made the excuse of going to the bathroom. I walked down the hallway, and there was a, probably a 30-year-old, and he's, a, he's a, one of the associate pastors at Little Baptist Church, and I mean, he was, he was getting it. I mean, he was flat, and he was flat getting it. And he was, didn't have a microphone, but I could hear him like eight doors down. And so I walked back into the room, and I said, man, he is, he is really he, hes really after. I said, there's no, there's no telling how he's going to get saved. I mean, he's preaching hell, sin's hot, heaven's real. You don't want to go to hell. You're going to die and go to hell if you don't give that oatmeal back. I mean, I don't know what the, what the sermon was. But then all of a sudden, there was a commotion in the hallway. And a little 83-year-old mom that had not walked in 30 years was walking in the hallway of the hospital. Everybody went nuts. Everybody's, I mean, everybody just blown away. They know this girl. This girl's been here a long time. And what happened, this little Baptist preacher asked if there's anybody there that was sick, the one to be healed, and she lifted her hand, and he went over her laid hands on her, and she got up and walked out of that wheelchair, and when I went back a week later, she's still walking. Now, ironically, believe it or not, the staff got all angry and all upset that this Baptist pastor would dare heal somebody on their watch where someone that has not walked in years could fall and get hurt and sue the hospital. So I tried to ponder all of that. I don't think I ever sorted anything out. It seemed like to me her walking after 40 years was a good thing. Well, I'm here to tell you this could be the day when someone could lay their hand on your shoulder and something you've been struggling with for 30 or 40 years, God could turn it around, and you could run from this place. You could leap from this place. There could be a breakthrough in your heart and spirit as you begin to realize you're not the only one in life that has bad stuff happening to them. As I as I gaze to the congregation, you know I'm reminded this year that um, Carmen has lost her husband. I remember about Valerie losing her husband, and I think about different ones losing their dad. And, and you know, it's been a tough year for a lot of people. There's been there's been stuff that's happened this year that we really didn't want to happen. And as we uh, have established, I and mean, we have a we have a we we love Valerie Henry. We love Valerie Henry. We love her. We've loved her for a long time. And and several, I guess it's been about two years now. When the tornadoes came through, the first batch of tornadoes came through. Her and her and her hubby had decided that. They were saved, so they went to the uh, uh, Captain D's, wasn't it, Valerie? And, and uh, so they were griping and fussing because it took 40 minutes for them to fill their order. Yet when they got back to the house, another tornado had gone through, and the area that they had planned survived the tornado, the tornado had picked the house up and set it right down in the very area where they were going to wait the storm out. What are you saying? Had they been at the house when the tornado would have come, it would have taken their home. Am I telling the truth? It would have taken their home. I'd share with the church Wednesday. We never found her garage. We have no idea where her garage. It was just tossed off somewhere during the mountain. And you know, you think about going going through, losing your house, losing your home trying to rebuild. She lost all of her clothes, all the everything. They, they completely destroyed everything. And then just a few months later to realize the man that you want to spend the rest of your life with, the sugar diabetes has caused an amputation and he's lost a limb, but he's got a great attitude through, through the whole thing, an encourager, a praiser, a praise and worship leader. And then just a few a few months later, he dies and goes and be with the Lord. And, and Valerie, I've told the story uh, a hundred times of, of that funeral and how... I'll be conservative, there were over 300 people in the sanctuary, is that close? And there were only two white people in the entire sanctuary, or three, and that was Valerie and Pastor Ron, I, and Gary. There about five or six of us in there. And so they had four preachers and I was one of them. And they had two preachers went before me, and another preacher going after me. So I went to the microphone, I told everybody, relax, I'm the white guy, everything's okay. Everything's gonna be okay. But you see, we could tease like that, you know why? We knew that her husband no longer was suffering a lost limb. He was no longer suffering sugar diabetes. He was no longer suffering pain in his arm. He was in heaven with Jesus Christ, leaping and dancing and rejoicing, and we can make light because we knew that where he was now is a better place than where he had been. That's where Paul's headed, to a place where there's no more medicine, there's no more medication, there's no more doctors, there's no more hospice, there's no more any of that, but you're in a place where the lion lays down with the lamb, and we study war no more, and there's peace and joy and safety and all the things that God has provided for us. And we thank God that we're able somehow to endure the pains and hurts of loss only knowing that there is coming a day when the dead in Christ is going to rise first and then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet them in the clouds so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words. I'm encouraging those of you that have lost loved ones this year or last year, I promise you we're going to see them again. We're going to be reconnected and it's going to be a great great day. It's going to be a it's going to be a great day. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. That was a little weak, but we will go on. First, do read 6 already. Let's go to 7. And our hope for you, your our joyful and confident expectation of good is ever unwavering, assured and unshaken, for we know that just as you share in our partners in our sufferings and calamities, you also share and partner in our comfort, consolation, and encouragement. And again, the Apostle Paul just saying the very same thing. If you're going to go through bad things, you're also going to go through good things. If there's bad days, there's going to be good days. If there's hurts and pain, there's going to be breakthrough and rest- restoration. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the affliction and oppressing distress which befell us in the promise of Asia, how we were so utterly, what's, what's the terminology of Paul who's so positive, he's so, he's so assertive, he's such an evangelist, he's a type A personality. But notice his words. Verse 9. Indeed, no, the middle of verse 8, how we were so utterly and unbearably weighed down and crushed that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the very sentence of death But that was to keep us from trusting in and depending on our own selves, but instead of our God who raises the dead. For it is he who rescued and saved us from such a perilous death, and he will still rescue and save us In, in him and on him we have set our hope our joyful and confident expectation that he will again deliver us from danger and destruction and draw us to himself. And then Paul com- com- compliments their prayer and their intercession. In other words, he's saying, not that God just deliver us from all this calamity, but your prayer and the more people praying turns the heart of God to, de- to-, to-, to deliver us and to bless us in areas that we need to be blessed. Can anybody Can anybody get a witness on that? Yeah. Can anybody tell me of times in their life when for some reason you felt this unusual burden just just to stop what you're doing and just pray. And, and sometimes you don't know who you're praying for, so you pray in that heavenly language. And sometimes the Lord will impress someone upon your heart and you go, man, I don't know, I don't know what's going on right now, but I got to stop and I got I to pray right now. I got to intercede right now. I remember when I was struggling with drugs and alcohol, I remember that every morning at a certain time as I would Maybe I'd stayed up all night night doing coke, and I got up the next day because I knew that I had a a job to run and had to show up on the job and collect money and material, whatever. I can remember every morning, it was always about the same time. It was about 7 or 8 o'clock. I would go to my closet to select clothes that I was going to wear that day, and as I would open those closet doors, always about the same time of morning, all of a sudden, some of the songs from the Old Red Hymnal, the Old Rugged Cross, uh, uh, Blessed Assurance, I mean, when God did, I mean, just all of a sudden, these lyrics would begin to invade my, my closet. And I didn't have a stir. I was not listening. Obviously, I was not listening to gospel music. I was listening to Doobie Brothers and the Cars and Deep Purple. And that was that was the music I was listening to. But my room would be overwhelmed with all these hymns that I grew up on in the church of God. We didn't go to church once a week. We went to church four times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night and Friday night. And all those services there was music and all those services there was there was an attempt to praise and worship God in the word and so these songs that I'd heard all my life, I would remember the word I would remember every verse and chorus and even second and third verse. it was scary and later in life when I came to the Lord and I gave my heart to God and I began to share my testimony it was then that my grandmother told me that every morning at 7 a.m., she got up and went to a prayer closet and prayed for me for one hour. I was the oldest grandkid, I was struggling with drugs, Ron and I were going through a divorce. I was losing everything, everything that I had. And I, and, I, and I know there's been times in your life that God has put a burden upon you. We need to pray for so-and-so. We need to pray for so-and-so. I was watching a broadcast, and I'm not a big, I'm not a big Christian television watcher. I like podcasts, but I'm, just, I'm not just one to sit in front of the television for hours and, and watch television. But I remember several, several years ago that Jan and Paul Crouch were on a couch and they were hosting the, the I think it was the PTL, PTL right, TBN, TBN Club. And, and while they were sitting there talking, all of a sudden Jan looks over at Paul and says, Paul said, I just feel like right now we need to pray for Arthur Blessed. I don't know if you know who Arthur Blessed is, but he's the guy that carries across all over the world and witnesses and testifies. He's written several books just, a, just as a, a soul winner for Christ. And so they stop right there on, on national television and begin to pray for Arthur. Come to find out on the other side of the world, Arthur had been arrested for preaching the gospel and been placed in front of a firing squad, and they're going to take his life. And for some reason, the soldiers, every time they went to aim their weapons at Arthur, they saw these angels, 10, 12, 16 foot tall, protecting Arthur. You believe in stuff like that? Absolutely. I believe God has been to wake you up in the middle of the night and said, pray for so-and-so. I believe that God has the ability to put a burden on your heart for a teenager or a mom or a daughter or a marriage or a, or, or a business or, or a future. I believe that our prayers are heard. I believe our tears are captured in a bottle and on that day when hell is going to pour upon this earth, there's no one to weep. God will pour those tears out and prayers that have been prayed months and years ago will be answered today. Does anybody bear witness with that in your spirit this morning? This pressure when when I think of pressure I think of and this has never happened to me and maybe it's happened to some of you here, but if you go to the doctor to do a test, for him to test your heart, he puts your heart under pressure. Has anybody had a stress test? Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not, I, I think you get on a treadmill, is that right? And then you, Jerry, have you had one? And you walk a certain, and they got all these buttons and things hooked up to you, and you uh, I remember, I don't know if Rhonda will remember this, but my, my grandfather was in the Tulsa area at a hospital there in Oklahoma City, and they put, they put a stress test on him, and Sean, and while they were testing him, had a heart attack. The stress test actually caused the heart attack. And I don't know if, if any of you feel like Gumby, like you're being stretched from the north to the south, the east, the west. I mean, it's like every time you turn around, there's a test here, there's pressure here, there's something happening here, and you get to a place where you, you, you want to say, God, I thought you wouldn't bring more upon me than I could handle." God, you're, I mean, we, we quote the word, we write it down, we put it on a bumper sticker, but sometimes it feels like God is a, not a million, a zillion miles away, or God is mad at us. You ever felt that or experienced that or or anybody i mean i'm am i just talking to that screen up there man I the good in yellow <laughs> is, 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 is is i mean can can anybody relate being to a place where god your word says this and i'm speaking your word and i'm quoting your word and i'm writing it down and i'm mail, i'm documenting it but i'm not getting this i'm getting this and it seemed like the more i do the worse it gets can anybody relate to anything like that paul said paul said and this is a guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a guy that got caught up into heaven. This is a guy that saw God, talked to God, face-to-face, was struck down with blindness. This was a guy that had great spiritual conquests and great spiritual moments. But Paul said, we found ourselves in a place where we thought a death sentence had been placed upon us, and we were going to die. Several months ago, the doctor confirmed that my mom had colon cancer. And if something wasn't done, she would die. A death sentence was placed upon her. Through a series of chemo, and through a series of radiation, through a series of medication, the same doctor that told her that she had cancer told her she didn't have cancer, that she was cancer-free. But there were things that she would have to do every three to six to nine months to make sure the cancer didn't come back. You know, I think about the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We came to God. We prayed a prayer. We asked him into our heart. But I think sometimes we fail to see the importance of going, whether, whether, it's, whether it's another chemo, whether it's another, whatever you want to call it, I think that we, we fail to see the importance of staying connected in the Word, staying connected in prayer, staying connected in, in meditation. In other words, God did it for us, so we go ahead and live our life without Him, and without His input in our life. I believe that, that we, we, sin has been placed upon us, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But a lot of people come to church and all they want God to do is to dust them off. Yeah. Little boy, seven, eight, nine years of age, every night his mom would come in with a warm, soapy wash rag and she would wash his neck and face and ears. I, I'm fierce. I mean, she was, she was motivated. She would scrub him down. Every night, right before he went to bed, he knew she was coming. One night she, he came into the room with that wash rag and he looked at her and said, Mom... Tonight, couldn't you just dust me off? I think a lot of us just want a dust-me-off relationship, a dust-me-off religion. If it's, if, it's, if it's feasible, attend church, serve God, tithe, worship God. If, if it fits into our plan, if it fits into our priority. But when you think about of all the plans that, that you could have planned, all the things you could have done, to be here this morning in the presence of God, surrounded by two or three, agreeing in the name of Jesus, worshiping God, praising God, hearing the word, learning how to endure, this is the best possible decision you could have made this morning, and you need to give yourself a hand clap of praise. Go ahead. Just be- when I look at 2 Corinthians 1 and I see, these, I see these words coming out of the mouth of Paul who declares we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. What shall separate us from the love of God? When you look at this guy who's so positive and so assertive and so evangelistic, history says that at the time of his sentencing to be beheaded, that he was attached to, to, I think it was four guards. Pastor Ronan can help me. He was attached to four guards, and within an hour, he would lead all four guards to the Lord, and they had to change the guards every hour because, have you heard that story, a documentation that, that everybody he was around, he led people to the Lord. He was infectious. He was, he was contagious. That, just, that was his manner. That was his spirit. But Paul is riding to the Corinthian church and saying, we are in a place where we want to die. We're in a place where death would be a blessing. We're in a place where there's absolutely no, there's no, there's, there's, there's no future. There's no, there's no, there's nothing to look forward to. It just, it's just, it's, it's devastating, it's crushing. I? And so I'm reflecting what could have Paul possibly experienced in Asia that would have brought him to this place? In 2 Corinthians 11 and 24, he begins to talk a little bit about where he's been and what he's done. And, and, he, and he uses the terminology, In labors more abundant, not afraid to work. In stripes above measure, 195 stripes he received in his life. In prisons more frequent, that we can document, he was in eight different prisons. In death oft, as we look at his life, five times he experienced death. He goes on to say, of the Jews, five times received I, 40 stripes save one. Remember the whipping post of Christ when they applied the stripes to his back? Paul survived that five different times once i was beat with rods what they did was they tied his legs together and put him over a barrel then they would take a rod and they would beat the living daylights out of his feet that he couldn't walk for a week or two once i was stoned and let me tell you something in those days when they stoned you they believed you were dead they left him for dead and there was a window and he said i was caught up in the spirit we wonder if in that transition when he was laying there and they thought he was dead, if that's when he caught a glimpse when he said, is not seen, ears not heard, neither entered the hearts of men. So he, once I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. I have a dear friend that I went to North Africa with and, and some other countries of the world and ministered. And I remember he had favor with the make sure a, the, the either mayor or the governor of the Bahama Islands. I forget whether it was mayor or governor. And they went out on a a deep sea fishing trip. And they got out there and somehow their compass broke or whoever was running the ship really didn't know what he was doing. And they ran out of gas in the middle of the ocean in the middle of the day. They had caught all kinds of fish, all kinds of mackerel. And as the day got hotter and hotter, every one of them... uh, survived third-degree sunburn. I mean, they were literally burnt to toast. And here, was, here he was with the mayor or the governor, whoever it was, the Bahamas. And, and they're looking for him. They can't find him. The night comes, and then the next board, and they have to throw all the fish overboard because they're, they're, they're stinking by now. And all of a sudden, sharks begin to bump the boat. And then all of a sudden, in the distance, they see a helicopter, and they were rescued. And I think, I think about the, the, the horrific calamity of being stranded in the ocean With nothing to hang on to. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I mean, this 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 is even bad in some of the ponds we have around here. I don't know if you know it, but if you go swimming in some of our ponds, if there's brim in there, they will come up and they will they will they don't really bite you, they kind of smack you. But it's a weird feeling. But could you imagine floating in the ocean all night long, knowing? that there are sharks out there and they can eat you. Can you imagine the fear of holding on to something for dear life and it looks like you're not going to be be saved? I don't think I would ever want to be shipwrecked. Do I have a friend in the building that would probably agree? Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeys, often in perils of water, in perils by robbers, in perils by own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils by the sea, in perils in the wilderness, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in painfulness, often in watchings, often in hunger and thirst, in cold and in nakedness. Besides those things that are without, how many says that's a good list? My Lord, he's been tortured, he's been beaten. He's hungry, he's cold, he's wet, he's shipwrecked, he's been, he's, been, he's been stoned and left for dead. Besides those things are without that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches, because he had a burden for the churches that he had raised up and a burden for the churches that he sponsored. Maybe it was one of those things in his life that determined why he was at a place where he said, I wish we were dead. A very popular passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 Paul talking again, but we have this treasure talking about the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Watch this. Paul is saying that we are containers that contain the power of God, the excellency of God, the anointing of God, the favor of God, all the gifts of God. But then the very next verse he says, here I am a container that that has God's glory, God's power. I mean, that all sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Anybody? It's not a good place to be in your life. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. In other words, he has come to the conclusion that he realizes that if he's going to be in ministry, there's going to be some trouble. But again, he has said, greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. So he's not perplexed. We are not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair perplexed, I believe Pastor Rhonda and I can relate to times in our life when we were perplexed, we were living a standard, we were living a promise, we were living a prophecy. I remember, I remember one year, several, several years ago that we went to Madisonville, Kentucky, and I was, I was scheduled to speak that Sunday morning and that Sunday night. It was the Church of the Happy Goodmans. I was excited. It was a great church. Several hundred people were in attendance, but when I got there, The pastor told me, said, hey, I'm going to have you minister tonight. We have a prophet. We've been having a couple of services, so he's going to minister this morning. You're going to minister tonight. Well, you know, in those days, I thought I was an eagle sitting on a hummingbird's nest when in reality I was a hummingbird sitting on an eagle's nest. And I got, I got my feelings hurt. I got to thinking, yeah, some prophet he is. I've got the word this morning. I even knew what I was going to preach. I can tell you right now, well, the four horsemen of God. I, I remember the sermon. It was on the second coming. It was a great word. A lot of people got saved. And I'm thinking, I could be on that preaching that sermon, people getting saved. This guy walks up the microphone, makes a statement. The second statement out of his mouth, he points at Rhonda. We never met him. And we've never, we've never been around him, never, have never identified with him. I don't know. The pastor told him we were there, but he points his finger at Ron and I and begins to repeat conversations that we had in the car on the way to Kentucky. Then he begins to tell us that he would give us houses that weren't ours. And now, now we look 30-some-odd 30, 30 years later in ministry There are places all over the nation that God has opened the door for us that we can go and be guests and be honored and be blessed, and we don't have a house payment or upkeep that that God has blessed us. And I begin begin to realize that in our perplexity of where we're at, it seems like we may not know what to do, but God always has the final word. The attack of the enemy is a fact. Facts change. Truth does not. Fact was, Lazarus was dead, had been there four days. Yesterday I was getting something for Brother Keith and went around the side of the building and something has died uh, in my in my lawn box. Something's, something's dead out there. I mean, it's it's obviously, it's dead. I'm not sure what it is. I really didn't want to look for it. I thought about calling Pastor Todd, let him look for it. But I remember a few months ago, Miss Patty called and said, we have got... A dead, a dead, and everybody knows what something dead smells like, right? I mean, it's not a pleasant smell. Lazarus was dead and was stinking. It was not a comfortable miracle. It was not a comfortable moment when Jesus said, "Roll away the stone." They're all thinking, and they told him, "Master, he stinks by now. This is this is this is this is, this is, this is something we don't want to get involved in." But he spoke the word. So notice, notice what will happen. Facts are facts. Truth is truth. Facts change. Facts said he's dead. Truth said, Lazarus, come forth. So you will find in your life there will be facts that might weigh you down, burden you, beat you up. They're just facts. They can change in a moment. They can change in a day. They can change in a week. They can change in a year. What we've got to do, like David, we've got to stay consistent day after day after day, knowing that this could be the X. And we'll talk about that at X marks the spot in just a moment. This could be the X that marks the day when we get our breakthrough. Anybody in need of a breakthrough in this building? We, we talked last week about Jeremiah when the, when the clay was in the hands of the potter and it got marred and the potter redid it better than he intended to do it. There will be times in your life when you will be in the perfect center of God's will. And you'll be seeing dreams. You'll be hearing angels. You'll be walking in God's power, walking in God's glory. And all of a sudden, you'll be blindsided. Someone pull the rug out from underneath you, or whack you over the head with the shovel. And your attitude is, "Wow, I'm." I mean, I mean, not once, not twice, but a hundred times in the past 18 months have I had a conversation with God, and it goes a lot like this. God. I've given you everything. God, the past 34 years of my life, I've not pursued anything but your purpose. God, I've traveled the world. I told him some of the places I went to that I wasn't sure I was going to get out of. I told him some bad things that happened in my life. and I, I painted God a very, very vivid picture of how faithful and awesome and needed I had been in the kingdom. And then it always flips over with, and I'll leave, the, I'll leave the expectatives out. So therefore, I have nothing to say. <laughs> Why, in the blank, 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 am I where I'm at? Why am I going through what I should be going through? And several years ago, when God intervened and brought deliverance and brought victory, and a door opened in a particular area of ministry, I told God, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy with that reputation that has that kind of ministry, that ministers this kind of people, and that's kind of a cop-out. That, but I, I didn't want that. I, I wanted, like Jonah, I wanted to pick my successes. Hello. Can anybody in the building relate to me? Yeah. There, were, there were battles I didn't want to fight. There were giants I didn't want to encounter. And so I have learned in my life, if you, if you want to do something, tell God you don't want to do it. It reverse Use reverse psychology on God so, you know, to outmanipulate God. God, I will never go to wife for a three-week vacation. That's just, just something, God, I don't feel like I should be. And the next day, the Lord will open the door, and we will go. Anyway, I'm not sure it works quite like that. But the point I'm making is that bad things can happen to you when there's no spot or blemish in your life. And you lay your head on the pillow that night saying, I did everything I was supposed to do for God today. You get up the next morning, you say, Holy Spirit, I'm ready. What do you want to do? And you follow that vein day after day after day. And you find yourself in that place of obedience where you're accomplishing things in the kingdom. And that, that is when the enemy tries to bring the most hell, the most distraction, the most defeat, because you're, you're accomplishing a habit, and what becomes a habit, what becomes routine, becomes effective and consistent if you're what? Not practicing, but you're practicing perfectly. Practice does not make you perfect. Perfect practice makes you perfect. And as you begin to survive every day and live every day and walk every day like Enoch, you can get so close to God that God can say, hey, I want to show you something. I want to tell you something. Or God will allow you, like Abraham, to go to sleep. And God will walk around you and speak over you. And speak prophetic words that his word will not return void. That it will accomplish a thing. That he's promised. There are so many in this place. I don't th- think that you're aware at night. God has walked around and give you a song in the night and give you a promise and give you a, a testimony. It seems, so, it seems so bleak and you might be like the woman that walked That everybody gripes because you raised somebody from a wheelchair. You might feel like everything you're doing for good, the enemy's trying to disqualify and discredit. But I promise you, if you stay on the path that you're on, it's a straight path, it's a narrow path, but it's a path that leads to a place where there's no, no lack no line, no ravenous beast, but we go to a place. It's a highway called holiness, and it's a place that God has for you, and anybody can walk there. I'm preaching better than you're shouting, but that's quite all right. Acts 27. If you'll post me a time on the wall, Josh. Oh, that's the time. Josh, if you'll post me another time on the wall. <laughs> if you're around me very long, you will know that this is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I will, I will, I will, I will blow through it, I promise you. There are three things I want to leave with you. I will blow through it. Being warned by several not to go to Jerusalem, Paul sets out for Jerusalem. This is his last journey. He's arrested. There's a guard over him. He has favor with the captain of the ship. He has favor with the staff. God speaks to Paul. God tells Paul, this is not a good journey to take. There'll be a loss of life. There'll be a loss of cargo. This is not a good season. However, something that is very important in this story, the sailors that were on this ship were godless. This is not church staff. This is not a youth choir. These are bad dudes. And where they were ported was not as good of a port as the next port because this port was notorious for wine, women, and song. So these sailors motivated not to stay here because there's no party here, but the next port reminds me of that song. We had joy, we had fun, we had season in the sun, but the wine and the song, like the seasons have all gone. They didn't want to spend winter here they want to spend winter where they could party. A lot of times the influence of the enemy will find ourselves caught up in what the enemy has influenced and what the enemy has orchestrated. And like Joseph, find ourselves either in a pit or a prison or a place where we can compromise and we had absolutely nothing to do with it. It's just a part of the journey. It's just a part of breathing. It's just a part of where you're at. So Paul finds himself at the mercy of a bunch of drunken sailors that wanted to go to the next port. So they begin to sail. It looks like things are calm. There's a breeze. It looks like everything's okay. And all of a sudden, a storm from hell arises, begins to blow this, and what started out to be a three-hour tour (laughs) with Gilligan and the skipper and Marianne and Ginger and the professor and the, the rich people turned into a storm From hell, a storm. I love Gilligan's. I mean, I love, you know what is so ironic? Just a little footnote, and don't charge me time here. This is a costly thing. I never saw the very last episode where they got saved. Has everybody, yeah. How many saw the episode where they got saved? One? Only two? We got to Google that. I have never watched the very, but I love, I can sing the whole song. I can sing it right, I believe. How many can sing the song right now? Just sit, right? I mean, there's several of it. Isn't it funny how our, our mind can be so? What started out as a three-hour tour turned into a storm from hell. Finally, get to a place where they're throwing the not just the tackle, but all the cargo, all their everything. They're trying to lighten the ship. They're pulling in the sail. The sails can't handle the wind. One thing one thing leads to another. And notice, if you will, in verse 20 of, of chapter 27. And don't lift your hand, but I wonder how many of us can relate to this season. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, storming like hell, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Hannah, that's a real scary place to be. I mean, to be at a place where a death sentence has been proclaimed over you, and there's absolutely no hope. Maybe a negative report about your marriage, a negative report about your body, a negative report about your money, a negative report in some area of your life, but here is a man of God that wrote half of the New Testament at least, and he's bringing to our attention all hope. Then the verse says, after long absence, it was a 14-day window, Paul fasts. He prays. He secludes himself to air the ship. He doesn't mingle. He gets alone with God. And after 14 days, like Daniel praying 21, like Moses praying 40, after 14 days of a of, of of this storm from hell the storm beating there's there they're dead they're, they're throwing everything overboard the ship is breaking up paul says after long abstinence there stood by me this night the angel of the lord whose i am and whose i serve i want to tell you something no matter how dark it gets no matter how confused or depressed or frustrated or grieving you become, you're never alone. David said, yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There is an angel that has camped out with you. There's an angel that's getting wet with you. There's an angel that's going through the chemo with you. There's an angel that's experiencing the depression with you. There's an angel, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he's promised never to leave you or forsake you even until the end of the world. And you say, but God, you don't understand. My burden is more than I can bear. God says, I know exactly what you're going through because I had to turn my face away from my son when he died at Calvary. But because he died and because he is risen, you can have life and have it more abundantly. I'll give the Lord a hand clap appreciation for that. Again, we will revisit this next week because there's three things you've got to grasp in this story. Here's what God tells Paul through this angel. Paul says, whose I am, whose I serve, and whose I believe. Three things. I belong to God. I serve God. I believe God. We used to sing a song earlier in ministry. Sean, you'll remember it. Whose report will you believe? We believe the report of the Lord. His report says, I am, and all the things those verses say, everything that, that that experience is, we believe the report of the Lord. Why? Because we belong to God. Those of you that weren't here Wednesday night, there was an incredible teaching, and I told Pastor Rhonda, I said, this it's, it's scary. For about 34 years, I've taught this, believed this. And those of you that know Courtney and I, we have determined that we're going to get a tattoo. We've already proved it with Pastor Rhonda. I'm going to get one right over my chest. You're going to get one on a wrist, and it's going to be YHWH, which is the unspeakable name of God, Yahweh, because the Word says He writes His name on our, on our heart. He writes His name on our hand. Paul said this, Romans 1 and 16. Are you ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation, even those that believe, to the Jew first... Say that with me first. And also to the Greek. In Ezekiel, we learned in the ninth chapter in the fourth verse, God told an angel to walk through the city and to mark a rendement, to put a mark on their forehead, that they would be marked spiritually, that as the Passover swept through the land, as a, as a death angel came because of that blood on the doorpost. The angel did not go in that room and take life. That house was marked. That same mark is placed upon your head, is placed upon your heart, is placed upon your wrist. God has put a mark on you, and the Hebrew letter for the word "mark" is Taw. Tall. tall is the last. Help me. The last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Paul said to the Jew first. So, in the Jew, in the Jewish alphabet, the very last word, the letter in their alphabet is tall and it's signified with either an X or a cross. Then it says to the Greek also. In Ephesians, the first chapter and 13th verse, it says that God has put a mark on our heart, a mark on our forehead, a mark on our wrist, and that mark is the Greek word chi. The Greek word chi is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. How ironically that Paul said that I choose to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the part of the Hebrew first, the end of their alphabet, and the Greek also, and the beginning of the Greek alphabet. So either way you go, there is a mark on you that God has marked you. And this is, the, this is the point I want to make, and I'm done. Whether you feel like you're gods or not, something out there knows whether you're gods or not. Let me tell you something. Every demon in hell knows whether or not you're gods, Every angel in hell, heaven knows whether you are or not your God's. I think we've come to a place again where Joshua said, "Choose you this day who you will serve." As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe that you can come to a place where you know beyond the shadow of a God that that you belong to God. God belongs to you, and everything's going to be okay. Yes. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Stress, pressure, persecution, financial.